How many of you are enjoying the cold weather? Yeah. So we have some beach people, which is cool. Some warmer people. That's great. I kind of like the cold weather. Um, <clears throat> I'm not necessarily a, you know, a, a hot, I'm not a hot guy. So, so that, that's probably part of it. I like to be a little cold and chilly and, and feel uncomfortable. Um, my name is Philip Brand. Uh, in case you're wondering who I am, I'm the pastor here. And Jonathan, um, the young guy that was up here at the microphone, was leading worship today. And if you're visiting with us, I just want to welcome you to the service. Um, I need, uh, let's see, um, Mr. Hutton, if you can come, come up here for a second. And um, John Dole, do you mind coming up here for, for just a second, and then let me get a lady. Uh, Jeanette, do you mind, you mind coming up just for a second? I need to, need to get you something out of, out of here. Um, just a second, I'm going to give you this, and then you can go back to see you need to get it out of the, out of the thing, so let me scoop it out of here. Wow, that lid broke. So don't take the lid off of it. A little surprise in there for you. So, yeah. so here you go. You can have that one. All right, and let me let me just take this back out of here. And... Okay, now y'all can go back to your seats. Thank you, thank you. So um, when I was little, have to get this stuff kind of stirred here. When I was little, when I was actually in sixth grade. Um, I was in elementary school because in our county, you went to elementary school through sixth grade, which I think is a great idea, by the way. And then you went, yeah, and yeah, thank you. Great. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And then you went to junior high, which was um, seventh through ninth grade. And then you went to high school uh, from 10th to 12th. It's the best setup ever, long before Common Core, and you actually knew what you were learning. Have you done that math? That math just blows my mind. My son would do that stuff on the side, and I already have the answer because I grew up in the 80s. Um, <clears throat> so nonetheless, you know, we were, we were out there, and we were on the playground, and um, a couple of friends of mine, they were, they were good friends of mine, so I don't want you to think they, they wasn't good friends, or I was just douched. Um, they decided to play the A-team, and so um, I was left out because there were so many characters in the A-Team show, and all of them were taken, and so um, I was left out, and so it really, as a kid, like in sixth grade, I, I don't know why, but it really touched me, and, and I cried, and there was a set of bushes. Do you remember those bushes in front of the gym? There was a set of bushes, and you can actually go back there and hide for a while, so I went behind the bushes and just started crying. Well, the A-Team found me behind the bushes, right? And, and they apologized, and, and, well, not really. They just said, we'll let you be somebody. Who do you want to be? And I said, I, that's, all, that's all right. And they said, well, you'll just be, we'll just have two Murdochs. So we had two Murdochs. So that's, that's, that's what we, that's what we decided. But it was the moment, it was a moment where you really didn't feel accepted by, by your friends, right? So, so it kind of hurt. And then you went behind the, behind the bushes, you cried. And then lo and behold, they did accept you anyway. They cared about you enough to have two Murdochs, which later in life, I'm wondering why Murdoch? Why not Hannibal Smith? I knew B.A. Baracus, obviously, because I'm not black. Um, it, oh, come on. I'm really referring to his muscles. Yeah. So, so anyway, you know, not accepted. You know, you and I are born 
into the world not accepted. Our parents love us, yeah. And yeah, it, some of our relatives love us, yeah. But at the moment that you are conceived, the moment that you are born and you're into this world, you are, you are not accepted by the God that created you. The reason that he cannot accept you is because you are sinful. And so he can't accept somebody that is sinful. He cannot do that. And everybody is born into sin. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ, specifically God the Father, loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that he could accept you if you would accept him. So we're all born into this world. Creator can't accept you until you come to the place where you realize that your sin has separated you from a holy God. You ask forgiveness from your sins and ask him to be your savior. And it's at that moment that God in heaven says, I accept that person. It's beautiful. So God just didn't leave you rejected. He decided to come and find you as you hid behind the bushes. Isn't that great? Just wonderful. So here's a couple of scriptures. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I want to submit to you this morning, there's a lot of people that haven't received the Lord Jesus Christ that do not have peace and they do not know why. I will tell you why. Because you're not accepted by your creator because you haven't accepted him. The moment that you accept him is the moment that you have peace with God. It's an amazing thing. Having been justified by faith in the cross and the resurrection, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another verse from Romans chapter five. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, separated from him, separated, Christ died for us. Um, <clears throat> a, a group, a song, actually, no, it's not a group. It's Chris Tomlin would put it to you this way. He would say, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that we have a God that we, we aren't accepted by him at first, but he has given a way for you to accept him and him to accept you and you to be a part of that family. It's an amazing, amazing thing. All right. Um, let me see. Uh, yeah, Mr. Hungerford, if you can come on up here. And um, Brad, I'm going to get you to come up here. And I, I need, a, need a woman. I'm going to get Ellen to come up. So, Ellen, come on up. I got to give you something. Let me... Stuff settles to the bottom if you don't stir it. It done it? Great. Just leave the lid on it, okay? Don't, don't take the lid off of it. All right. Just leave. Don't take the lid off of it, okay? Just kind of keep a lid on it. Okay. I, I don't. You might not need one. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, great. Y'all can go sit down. You can go sit down. Okay, well, that's not the message for today. Okay, there we go. Great. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. 
Mark chapter 2. And we'll begin reading with verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, He went on again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. That is Jesus. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Now, Levi is actually Matthew. So here he's called Levi, but his name is Matthew as well. Um, and uh, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He was a tax man. How many of you are looking forward to April 15th? That's like the day that you celebrate. Nobody, you don't give out gifts or anything on April 15th, right? It is April 15th, right? Yeah, just making sure because nobody was really excited about that. I just wanted to make sure I had the right date because shouldn't you be excited about giving money to a great organization um, that manages it very well? And he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, I do my taxes through TurboTax. How many of you do TurboTax? TurboTax, great. And each year, I buy the protection, right? Because they say that if you buy their protection, you will never have to talk to the IRS agent. And that, to me, is a win. Because, now, I might want to know an IRS agent as a friend, but not as a business person. You know what I mean? Not as somebody coming to my house to try to figure out if I've missed something in my taxes. Um, I also, um, no, I don't know how many people do this, but I also uh, work in type, types of fail-safes. Like, I don't claim everything, so just in case I get audited, I can bring this to the table and say, well, I didn't claim this, and maybe it'll equal it out. That will never work. But nonetheless, it came out. There was one time, what started me doing this is, is one time, it was about 15-ish years ago, I forget exactly when, but a long time ago, um, I was audited and talked to the guy, and at the end of the conversation, he wrote me a check. I've never been audited since then. I'll probably be audited now that I've said that. But nonetheless, I don't think the government wants to give you a check. So you don't really want to meet the IRS agent in that particular arena. Here is Jesus Christ. He's walking by the tax booth, and he says to this person that nobody really wants to know. It's a reject of society, somebody that wouldn't be socially invited to your party. He says, follow me. He invites a tax collector, somebody that you wouldn't want to. This would be equal to inviting a prostitute to your son's birthday party. I'm just being, I'm trying to give you, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to give you, do you understand? Uh, come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Prostitutes, people that you're not, you don't want people to hang around, you would invite them to your house. You did not invite a tax collector anywhere. And so Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. I find in life that God doesn't call perfect people. He calls willing people. Doesn't call the perfect. He calls the willing. So if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you feel like that you are still, you still have that feeling of rejection, I want you to know he's not trying, he's not trying to call perfect people. 
he's trying to call willing people. Willing people that will follow him and leave everything behind. Willing people that will change when they need to change. Willing people who will stick with him in thick and thin. He's looking for the willing, not for the perfect. And I'm really thankful for that. Really thankful for that. So with that said, um, uh, Vicki, do you mind coming up? And um, let me see. Oh, Pat Green, you're so lovely. Can you come up? Hey, come on down. You're the next contestant on the prizes right. And I think I'm going to get Amanda Seaford to come up too. So we'll do, we'll do um, this and I just want to get you some stuff out of here. Now you have to, have to keep the lid on it. Okay, there you go. Okay. Okay, so. Hey, you can go right back to your seat as soon as you. Yeah. There you go. Now for you, for you, um, I need to make sure I get the stuff on the bottom to the top here. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, it's amazing I can do that and there's no dripping off the sides. It's absolutely incredible, incredible. Um, here's another couple of thoughts about that acceptance of God. In life, people will reject you, but God will accept you. Isn't that awesome? So he will, he will accept you. Now, when he accepts you, I want to be very clear, he doesn't leave you where you are. For instance, if, if you were involved in some type of sin that you didn't really like that much or you shouldn't have been involved in, and, and you receive him as your savior, he's going to take your life and change you into something else. He loves you enough not to leave you in the sin that is so easily besets you, right? He wants to make you something better. He wants to make you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's going to accept you, but he's not going to leave you there. See, that's, that's counter-cultural. Counter because in our culture, acceptance is you accept the person where they are and you don't try to help them change. You accept them in whatever they have decided to do, if it's sin, or what, if it's sin, and you kind of leave them there. Jesus doesn't leave you there. I want you to notice that he got up and he followed Jesus, and then he invited some people to his house. And he arose and followed him, and as he reclined at the table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So here's the tax collector that went out to his, his buddies that were sinful and just the epitome of lost, and he invites them to his house to meet Jesus. When Levi decides to follow Jesus and leave the tax business, that was a decision to break a contract with Rome. And as soon as you broke that contract, you couldn't go back to your job. He left his job behind. In other words, he followed and became unemployed. He followed because Jesus called him. He was leaving his entire life behind. Amazing. Amazing. In other words, the rejected Matthew rejected his lifestyle to accept Jesus. 
That is salvation. You reject your sinful lifestyle and you accept Jesus for a brand new way of living. That is salvation. Now, with that said, um, Mr. Rogers, can you come up? I've always wanted to say that out loud. Um, Nathan, do you mind coming up? And um, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy, you come on up. Okay, well, you just stay right there. Mr. Bailey, come on up. Chip, all right? So I'm going to do this. You have to keep a lid on it. Oh. There's a little something on yours. Be careful. I I don't know what that is, but something got out. You got Mr. Rogers. You should have changed your shoes. Okay, so. We're going to get just a little bit more here. Mr. Bailey. There you go. And y'all can go back to UC. Good. Great. Okay. Great. It's hard work doing this. Very hard work. All right. So here we go. Now, he invited people to his house. Let's read verse 15 again and then go to 16. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners, bad people you don't want to hang around, reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many sinners, despicable people who followed Jesus. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. I want you to notice there that they didn't ask Jesus while he was doing it. They pulled his disciples aside to ask him that question. And I want to submit to you this morning that you need to be very careful with people who pull you aside. Come on. You need to be very careful with people that pull you aside. The Pharisees pulled him aside. Listen, the Pharisees, you need to understand to the disciples hearing this, sounded right. You know our laws. You know how we're supposed to live. We are not supposed to be around sinners. We are not supposed to be around that type of individual. The people that pulled the disciples aside were seemingly good people. They had a good reputation in the community. They were respected in the community. And he pulled them aside. And these people, the disciples already had somewhat of a respect for these religious leaders. And they pulled them aside and says, why is your leader, why is Jesus, the one you're following, eating with sinners and tax collectors? You need to be very careful when someone pulls you aside because what they're trying to do when they pull you aside is stir things up. Right? And man, they look so nice and so religious 
and so faithful to God? And how could they be telling you something that was meant to hurt somebody else? How could they possibly? After all, they love God so much that they're just concerned that the person you're following might be leading you astray. Oh, I like that beat. Don't I go that way? Leading you astray. So what do they do? They pull people aside. And by pulling you aside and talking to you, they have just revealed their heart. And they need you on their side, though they are telling you, what I'm about to tell you, I don't want you to tell anybody else. Well, let me just give you a secret. I'm going to pull you aside for a moment, let you know what they're doing. They have picked people that will share the message that are like Jimmy that wouldn't be able to keep a lid on it. And so they take their container to their section of where they live and they don't keep the lid on it. They open it up and they share it with other people. And before too long, you create a mob of people against somebody. And in this case, it took them a couple of years to create a huge mob that would put Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, on the cross. And people today are exactly the same. Exactly the same. So let me demonstrate. Everybody that has a, has a bowl, and if you're sitting beside somebody that has a bowl, I want you to come up here and just stand right here. Or grandpa cannot come up for you if you're scared to come up. That's fine. Okay, so y'all, and I want you to face this way. I want you to all face this way. Yeah. Get together as a mob. Y'all don't mob very well. Everybody sit beside. And... The whole pot in what I gave you in that and you shared with your wives and stuff was all stuff about Israel Milton. It's all about him. And now all of a sudden there is a community. Hey. (laughs) There's a community of people that believe something about Israel that isn't true. That isn't true. And you cannot tell me that this doesn't happen in life. I've seen it happen in churches before. I've seen people mob up against one leader, mob up against one family, mob up against one, some people in the church. They go after them. And this is so stinking interesting and believable that they go with this rather than considering the history of Israel and his faithfulness and everything that he's done in the community. They will take the one thing that's bad and explode it and ruin this guy. This happens in politics. This happens in church. This happens at your job. This happens everywhere you go. And I'm telling you this morning, you need to be careful with the people that pull you aside. I don't care how good they look. You need to be careful with the person that whispers in your ear. Amen? Now, y'all may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, man. Y'all can have the 
Y'all can have the, the stuff in there. Be careful with those people. Now, you saw all those people up here. If there's a group of people that have decided to be against one person, there is a level of self-righteousness that I can just not explain to you. All of those people have decided that this individual over here has done something so horrible that they need to gank up against him and take him out. That is a level of self-righteousness that is beyond imagination. And in fact, the people that would be involved in that don't even realize they're being self-righteous. They think they're righteous. But it's a self-imposed righteousness. Every person that comes up against someone like that in a group, and they group up against someone, thinks that they live their lives better than the person that they're about to take out. Come on. That is self-righteousness. That's self-righteousness. So these people were just oozing with the self-righteousness. They were oozing with, I do not need help. I need to get rid of the one that is causing issues and trouble. That's what I need to do. And so in verse 16, it says this, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. Wow. You mean to tell me that if I think that I am living my life better than someone else, that Jesus is not going to help me? Yes. The moment that you and I decide to look down on someone else because of their sin and their insufficiencies and what they are doing and we look down on them because we are living a better life than they are living is the moment that Jesus stops helping you because Jesus can't help the righteous. Jesus can't help the self-righteous. Jesus helps only people who are sick. So let me ask you this question. Are you sick enough this morning for Jesus to help you? Are you sick enough this morning for Jesus to help you? Are you sick enough this morning for Jesus to help you? I'm just using you as an example. He knows that. Israel may have done something wrong. But it wasn't up to me to tell everybody else about it and then have them come up against him. Here's how I should have approached him. First, on the same level of sinfulness as he is. Is everybody with me? What that does to you is it tempers the anger. It tempers your attack. And as you think about that, that you're as simple as he is, that you've done things wrong too, as you temper your mind that way, there's a level of humbleness that comes over you that is unmatched. The moment you know that you are equal to that, you're equal. The next thing that happens is when you know you're on the same, you begin to decide, 
was this really something important or is this some type of personal preference or something that I just don't like in general? You know what I mean? I mean, do I really need to talk to him about it? Or is this just something in my heart? Like, I don't like people that shave their heads. And so that's the reason that I'm against him. So anything that he does, whether he does it good or bad, I'm going to be against it because he's a guy that has a shaved head. Are you tracking? Tracking with me? So when I get to the place where I am equally in need of a savior, right? Let's get that humbleness in my mind. I begin to think, okay, well, is this just a personal preference? Maybe I don't like people in boots. Maybe I don't like people that drive big trucks because I drive a little car. Maybe there's just something that irritates me about his personality. All of those things that I just lifted, listed to you is an empty reason to go after anybody. He is who he is. God has made him a particular way. If he shaves his head and wears boots, he shaves his head and wears boots. It's not enough for me to go, man, dude, you need to grow your hair out. Maybe down to here, become a hippie, you know, get a couple of chacos on your, to kind of fit the style. I can change you if you want me to, you know. It's not enough for me to be against someone just because he looks different is my point. But if he's actually done something, I might go to one person to make sure that I'm going to approach it correctly one person that you trust that is wise, one person only, one person that you trust to keep a lid on it, that would not be Jimmy Fibbs, but one person that you would, you would trust, you know I'm playing with you, one person that you trust, and then once you have that, you say, hey, let's go to lunch, and I just want to go to lunch, and during that lunch, you talk about it. You work it out, man to man. I have found out that when you do that and you sit down with a person, your perception of what they have done absolutely changes most of the time because they have a total different reason for doing what they did, total different reason, and it works out. It works out. That's how we are supposed to interact with each other because in the back of our mind, we always have to remember, we have to be sick enough for Jesus to help us And if Jesus can help me as a sinner, he can also help my brother in Christ. That is the beauty of the gospel. We go from not being accepted to being accepted to trying to live this life out to the best of our ability, helping our brothers and sisters in Christ grow stronger in Christ by just casual conversations with them about life in general. That is how this works. It is not the lack of judging sin. It is the lack of being judgmental when you judge sin. It is not the lack of saying that is wrong. It is the lack of it is not up to me to punish that person when they've done something wrong. It's not up to me. There's a lot of things that's not up to me. And once you figure out the stuff that's not up to you, it goes off of your shoulders. And you can actually handle particular situations. It is an absolutely amazing So Jesus came for sinners, for people who are sick. He came to call the righteous. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. How many 
I wonder how many Christians are living a life of self-righteousness, thinking that they're righteous, and they're wondering why their prayers aren't answered. They're wondering why things in their life can't be fixed. Is everybody tracking with me? Um, <laughs> I worked with a guy named Tim Carpenter, and I hope he watches this sermon. He watches some of them. I hope he watches this one. When I worked with him at Center Grove, he would say, you know, I need to go home today, and I need to trick my son into doing something wrong because he really needs a spanking. Now, now he wasn't serious, but he was just being funny. Trick him into doing something wrong because he really needs a spanking. Listen, if you think that you've gone a day without doing something against a holy God, somebody needs to trick you into, into getting a spanking. Come on. I, I, can't, I can't do it. I woke up last night thinking about some things that I had done on Saturday. To me, they were very small because your sin is always smaller than the other person's, right? So to me, they were very small, but they were still huge when it comes to a holy God because I am sick and I need Jesus to help me. And I am going to be sick until the day I die and you are going to be sick too. Please be sick enough so that Jesus can help you. Amen? Let's pray.